Some of you have discovered this. Have you, have you discovered this, that choices have consequences? Okay. I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm telling you anything right now that you're not aware of. Choices have consequences. Now, there are times when God's really gracious to us. And in spite of some maybe bad decisions we've made, God still brings good things into our lives. And then there are the other times when we make some really bad decisions and God is merciful to us and he doesn't put the hammer down. He could, he'd be justified to do it, but he doesn't give us the full brunt of the consequences that we deserve. You've also discovered this about consequences, haven't you? That sometimes people, other people do things and you pay the consequences. There's a price for you. And of course, other people have discovered that there are times you've done things, said things, and they face the consequences of your actions. They get caught up as collateral damage. We understand this. This is not rocket science this morning. This is something I think we all are aware of. Well, as I study this portion we're going to read in James here in just a few minutes, as I studied this, a scene from an old, old movie came to mind. It's an old black and white movie, one that I have seen dozens of times. And so we want to take just a couple of minutes and let you watch this little excerpt from this old movie. that movie? How many have seen that movie? Okay. It's alive. It's alive. Now, if you've seen the movie, this is what you know. Things did not turn out like Dr. Frankenstein had planned. His creation became a monster. The consequences were not what he expected. And in fact, destruction and death soon followed in this in this movie. With that in mind, let's look here in James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18 as we consider actions and consequences. We begin, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away and enticed by their own evil desire. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we may, may be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Listen, if you and I knew the truth about temptation, it probably wouldn't be quite so tempting. If you knew ahead of time the cost of something you were going to do or something you were going to say, 
you might go, eh, it's not worth that cost. If, if you knew that something was going to turn out bad, well, wait a minute. Sometimes we do know things are going to turn out bad, and we do it anyway. There seems to be something inside each one of us that, that draws us towards these bad decisions. We tend to be drawn towards temptation. Sometimes temptation can be so tempting. Let's focus on verse 13. Let's, let's go through this. Let's, let's think through this together. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay, here's our first big truth. God never tempts us to sin. God never tempts us to sin. So when you face temptation, what are we reading here? Don't say, God is tempting me, because that's not how God operates. That's not what he does. God never tempts us. So who is to blame? Well, we find some help in Proverbs. A man's own foolishness leads him astray, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Look at that. We, we go skipping merrily along into temptation, indulging in whatever it is. And on the other side of that, when, the, when it snaps back, then we blame God. Why is God doing this to me? When it, we've led ourselves in that direction. What we know from scripture is that God will never tempt us, but he does test us. And this is interesting because in the Greek, the word for tempt and the word for test are the exact same word. That's why sometimes it can be hard for us to distinguish, is God testing me or is Satan tempting me? What's the difference? The difference is the intent from the one who's sending the test or the temptation. The intent. What's God's intent? God is for us. Did you hear that? God is for us. Some of you didn't wake up this morning thinking, hey, God's for me. Some of you may have even woke up this morning thinking God's against me. But scripture teaches us that God is for us. He's not against us. He wants us to make the right choice. He wants us to choose what's going to bring life. In fact, if we think back to his interaction with the people of Israel, the Israelites, he actually told them that. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we read this. This day, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now look, what does he say? Now choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in, in the land that he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at that. Plain as day. I am setting for, before you a choice. 
And here's what I want you to choose. Life. Now you can choose death, but I don't want you to choose that. Because why? I am for you. I'm not against you. I love you. I care about you. You are important to me. God's for us, but we do have an enemy that's against us. We do have one who is trying to undermine all that God is doing. And when he places something in front of us, he wants to see us fail. He wants to see us fall over and over and over again, flat on our faces. He wants to see us completely burdened by guilt, just chained, wrapped in guilt so that we are completely ineffective for the kingdom of God. And so he's working. He's working. He's constantly dangling the bait in front of us. I got to tell you something about Satan's tactics. He didn't use the same bait for everybody. You see, what might tempt you may not tempt you. And so he's going to use what's most effective in your life. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's lust. Whatever it is that he can throw out there, the intent's to get you to bite. Oh, he can cast all day long. He can throw the bait out in front of you all day long, but it's completely ineffective unless you take the bait. Let's look in verse 14 is how this works. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I'm, uh, I was born in 1962, so I remember the 70s very well. And in the 70s, early 70s, we didn't even have a black, we didn't have a color TV. We just had a black and white TV. And guys, you don't understand this. We only had three channels. And to change channels, you had to get up, walk over the TV, actually change the channel, and then adjust the antenna. We started with rabbit ears, and then we had one on top of the house that would rotate. You'd have to adjust the antenna to get the station to come in the way you wanted it to. But one of the shows that we watched in the 70s, really, really popular show, was called The Flip Wilson Show. It was the first show, a variety show that was produced that had uh, an African-American as the host. And big stars came on the show and they'd do skits. And it was just kind of a variety show, Flip Wilson Show. But I remember from that show a, a, an expression that Flip Wilson would use over and over again, almost in every show, in some variation of another. And that is, the devil made me do it. So you remember that. The devil made me do it. Well, here's the problem. The devil may tempt us, but he can't make us sin. That's our choice. We do that. And the wording that James uses is very helpful for us to understand this. He, he uses this phrase, dragged away and enticed. This is an expression of a, it's a continual, first of all, it's a continual thing. In other words, he's not taking a break. You don't, you don't get a day off from temptation. It's coming. It's continual, but it's also, it, it, if you can imagine this picture of being drawn out of a place of safety toward a baited trap. So we've kind of moved from a fishing analogy to a hunting analogy, being drawn out of a place of safety, drawn away and enticed 
by bait that is placed out in front of us. This is what Satan's doing, and he's doing it nonstop. And sadly, he's got a lot of allies. I'm not just talking about demons. I'm talking about people who are just kind of pushing what he has to sell. If Satan's the drug dealer, they're out on the streets. If, if he's the kingpin, there are the dealers. They're out on the street. They're selling it. And we got lots of them. And I'm not saying that they have evil intent. They just have, they approach it almost in an amoral sense. In other words, it's about getting money. And so if I can entice you to do this, entice you to do that, it makes me more rich, makes me more wealthy, makes my life more comfortable. Whatever happens to you, that's your problem. And so we're constantly being enticed by Satan and his allies, lured and entrapped. In Psalm 94, the psalmist writes, the wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But listen to this. We need to hear this. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. And here's our second big truth. When tempted, God is our refuge. When we're tempted, God is our refuge. Now, remember, we talked at the very beginning that temptation is something that's common to us all. We all understand this. We're not going to testify right now because I don't want to embarrass any of you. But all of us, all of us, not one of us is exempt. All of us face temptation. Since that is true, it's good for us to know, first of all, that God's not tempting us. And secondly, that when we are tempted, God is our refuge. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that when we're tempted, we should run down to the church house, bang on the door to let them let us in, and we should just hang out here until the temptation passes? Does that mean that we should just go off and join a monastery or maybe go over here and join a convent, kind of get away from the temptation? Come on, folks, you know better than I do. We live in a world that's filled with temptation. We're not getting away that easy. But in a world that's filled with temptation... That's our location right now. Our spiritual location, though, is that we're in Christ. In a world filled with temptation, we are in Christ. He is our rock. He is our refuge. He is our strength. And he is our victory. We do not have to yield to the temptation. Put it another way. Layman's terms, you've known me now for many, many years, most of you. So let me put it this way. You don't have to stop when the hot light is on. In other words, just because it's there doesn't mean we have to bite. Doesn't mean we have to make that choice. But I know, I know, no, I, there's something in us. It just kind of pulls us that direction. There's something in us that just craves what it is that's being dangled out in front of us. The, the Bible calls it our sin nature. Let's take a look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7. He, he understands this. Look at this. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have this desire to do what's good. That's us, right? We have a desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. 
Now, if I, I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. All day long, all day long, all day long, we can curse at Satan for setting the trap, for baiting the trap. But when it comes right down to it, folks, it's you and me who take the bait. So let's take a, take a closer look at this process that James is giving us here in chapter 1. He says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Back up with me to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there. Everything's good. God has given them everything they needed. In fact, more than they needed. And everything is perfect in Eden. The only thing that God has said, I don't want you to do, is he said, I do not want you to eat of one tree. You can have everything else. You can have as much as you want. But there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's in the center of the garden. Don't eat of that. Don't eat it. And so here are Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. And we, we, don't know, we don't know the extent, the period of time. I mean, Genesis kind of compresses time for us a little bit. We don't know exactly how long they were in there. But we can imagine that during the course of the time that Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, that they passed by that tree numerous times. Maybe they take a look over at it. Maybe they wouldn't even notice it. Maybe they go through their day not even giving thought, never even thinking, oh, I should do that. And then one day the serpent shows up. And he pulls him aside and he says, you know, God's holding out on you. What he told you what, it wasn't entirely true. Just take a look at this. Doesn't it look so good? Do you know the reason God doesn't want you to eat that? It's because when you do, you're going to be like him. So go ahead, take a bite, it's okay. And they did. Can I tell you that Satan has not changed his tactics in thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He's used the same tactics with us all around the world. God's holding out on you. He's not being fair. Doesn't it look so good? After all, what's it going to hurt? God's just trying to keep you from enjoying this one thing. So what does James say? Verse 16. Don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. Why does he have to warn us of this? I mean, we've already, we, we already said we know this. So why does he warn us? He warns us because temptation is deceitful. It disguises what it really is. I don't think any of you would go in your house 
find a bottle of poison, rip the label off, and maybe put a Coca-Cola label on it. You go, oh, that would be foolish. Somebody might grab that thinking that it's okay. But that's exactly what temptation is. It's relabeling sin so that it looks appealing to us. If, if temptation were fully revealed, if we, if we actually saw it for what it was, we'd probably walk away. If we could see the results of our anger, of our lust, of our greed, of our gossip, if we could see the results of that ahead of time, a preview of coming attractions, then we might go, you know what? It's not worth it. I don't want that relationship damaged. I don't want that guilt to carry away with me. I don't want that pain. If it revealed itself, but it doesn't. It disguises itself. It's deceitful. And so James says, my brothers and sisters, listen, listen, listen. Don't be deceived. Don't don't take the bait. God's not sending temptation our way. Because he doesn't want to see us stumble and fall. He doesn't want to see us flat on our faces, loaded down with guilt and feeling utterly and completely hopeless. Folks, if you don't hear anything else, hear this this morning. He is for you, not against you. He is for you, not against you. He's not sitting up there on a cloud somewhere trying to get you to do something wrong so that he can zap you. Why? Because he's for you, not against you. This goes to our third big truth this morning, and that's this. When you're tempted, God provides a way of escape. So let's think where we've been. God's not tempting us. When we are tempted, he becomes our refuge, our fortress, a place to where we can go and find strength and victory. And when we're tempted, he provides a way of escape. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God's faithful. And he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear up under it. If you'll think back with me to the first message, we talked about the audience to whom James was writing this letter. He was writing to believers who were scattered. Now, these may be Jewish believers, they may be Gentile believers, but they were scattered among the nations. In other words, this letter is going out to pockets of believers who are living in a pagan culture. Now, let me paint the picture of what that was. That pagan culture, most of them also had a religious faith, and they believed in a multitude of gods and goddesses. But these these gods were a lot different than the, the God we see in the pages of Scripture. These gods were capricious. In other words, these gods, on one day, they'd be so nice to you. But on the next day, they're backhanding you. One day they're good, the next day they're bad. 
And you work and you work and you work and you try to appease this God because you don't want this God to, to zap you. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Or maybe you're trying to do the best you can to appease this God and, and he, just, he just jerks your chain for the fun of it. And so James is writing to a group of people and he says, I want to let you know your God's not like those false gods. This is what he says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, the God who who put the stars in the sky, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth. He chose, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God's not like the gods of these other nations. God's not capricious. He's not good and and bad and just, you never know which God you're going to have that day. God is consistent, constant, always, always, always good and always for you, not against you. He is the God, James says, who gives good and perfect gifts to his children. He's the God who gives us new birth into a new family. He's the God who reversed the curse and gives us life both abundant and eternal. We, we focus on the eternal part, but do we understand that God doesn't want to just, we're not just hanging on until Jesus comes back so we can go to heaven. That'll be a great and glorious day. But even in the midst of all that we're going through, God provides an abundance to us. But those you're sitting there feeling of your wallet and going, well, I don't feel very abundant today. You had not seen the stack of bills at my house. Can I tell you that the abundance that God wants to give you goes way beyond anything that you can put in the bank or put up on a you know, shelf in your house. It goes way beyond something you can sit in and drive, whether you're on the water or on the road. The abundance that God has for us is something that can't be touched by malls and rusts and thieves. The abundance that God has for us, let me tell you, there is no, there is no greater gift that you can have in your life than to know when you put your head on the pillow at night and when you wake up with the sun shining through the window in the morning, there is no greater gift that you can know more than I'm his child and he's my dad and he loves me and he not only has a home for me in heaven, He's with me. No matter what I'm going through today at work, he's with me. No matter how big a test I've got coming up today, he's with me. No matter what that person said to me that really chapped my hide, he's with me. No matter what, he is with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will never abandon me. I am his. Let me tell you something. That money can't buy that. Money cannot buy the peace and contentment that we have in Christ. Now, I want to tell you something else about Jesus because I think this is important for you to hear. 
because we sing about him and we sing about the glorified Christ. We sing about the, the, the Christ who's, who's, you know, seated high and filled with glory. We, we sing about this, but he also walked here in flesh. And part of being in flesh was that he also endured some of the same things that you and I endure. Take a look at this, this scripture here in Hebrews chapter 2. The writer of Hebrews says this, because he himself suffered when he was what? Tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. You look at this and you go, no one else has ever, no one's ever had the temptations I've had. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were tempted and yet without sin. But that means we go to a Savior who knows. When temptation busts us in the chops, takes us down for the fifth time in two days, we go to a Savior who understands. He knows how hard it is to say no, to turn your back and walk away. He knows how hard it is for you to turn off the TV or turn off the computer when hormones are starting to rage in your body. He knows how hard it is not to share that bit of juicy gossip that shows that you know something somebody else doesn't know and maybe you could take somebody down a peg. He knows how hard it is not to want to elevate self and and be prideful in situations. He knows how hard it is. He knows how hard it is not to speak those harsh words and to seek revenge. He knows how hard it is. And he's there to help. One of the beautiful things that happens here on Thursday evenings is our Celebrate Recovery ministry. And unlike sometimes it happens on church where we come in and we kind of, you know, we put on some nicer clothes and ladies put on some makeup and, and guys comb their hair. Well, those of us who have hair to comb. And we come in and, and we're, we, we make like everything is good. Got no problems. Just coming in here to meet people and hang around with Jesus for a little while. But that's not what happens on Thursday night. Can I tell you what happens on Thursday nights? On Thursday nights, broken people come through the door. And they're not trying to hide their brokenness. They come in and say, I'm weak. Temptation got me this week. And they get together and they worship Jesus. But then they get into small groups and they begin to share their brokenness. And here's what happens. I'm sharing this, and I'm, I'm not sitting there thinking I'm the only person that's ever experienced this before because when I'm sharing my brokenness, the person across the table who listens, who hears what I had to, when they begin to share, I understand they're broken too. And wait a minute, th- this person's broken too. I'm really not alone in this. We need to understand when we're tempted and when we fall, and we will. We need to understand that we have a Savior who understands and who can give us victory. And we have a church family 
who is there to surround us and encourage us. Not to point out and say, oh, look how bad you are. Look how, look how much you messed up. But say, I love you and I understand. And I'm here to be with you, to walk with you through this, to pray for you, to encourage you, because like our Father, I am for you, not against you. That's the kind of church I want us to be. Place with grace and mercy overflow. Not that we dilute the truth. Not that we refuse to call sin, sin, because it is. But because here, among the people of God who know his grace and mercy, we just... We're so full of it, we just slosh it all over everybody. And people know, I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to put on a mask. I can come just as I am and be loved. Folks, we know temptation is real. It's real. It's real. We face it every day. And some of you came this morning and you feel completely and utterly trapped by temptation. Like, like you're shackled and, and chained and, and the guilt is more, it's more than you can bear. The good news is that Jesus came to set the captives free. You can walk free of those chains of guilt you can, you can walk out of here without that burden on you. And you can find, as so many of us have already found, that God's mercies are new every morning. And folks, this is one of those mornings. And so I want to pray for you right now. Would you join your hearts with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're for us and not against us. And I want to pray right now because I know that your word, not my words, but your word has begun to work in people's hearts. You've held a mirror up in front of them. And they've seen not simply their sin. But they've seen through that mirror to you. And recognize, Lord, that you are their only hope. You are their only hope of forgiveness of sin. You are their only refuge in time of temptation. And you are their victory. Their freedom. And so, Lord, I want to pray this morning for those who came who are your children but who came shackled by guilt and shame. I pray that today, Lord, you will speak to them, your spirit will work in them, and they will be able to go from this place free, whole, and unburdened. I pray for those, Lord, who struggle, who have temptation, the same old temptation coming back over and over and over and over again, Lord. 
And they feel like failures. Because every time the bait is dangled, they bite. Every time the trap is baited, they come out of their security and you take the bait. And Lord, they're here this morning feeling hopeless. Would you remind them by your spirit that you are not against them? You're for them. Would you remind them by your spirit that you are their rock and their refuge and their strength and their victory? Lord, would you remind them by your spirit that you've already made a way of escape and that you'll give them the strength if they'll receive it to just walk away? Lord, I pray for those I pray for those who need Jesus. Maybe they've recognized themselves in this today and they, they recognize that they don't have the resource to resist. They don't have the strength to resist. They don't have a rock. They don't have a refuge. They don't have a savior. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit you will draw them to yourself so that they might come and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. Lord, whatever it is that you call us to do right now, Father, I pray that your Spirit would move so powerfully in hearts and lives today that we simply couldn't resist. Thank you, Lord, for being who you are, for loving us and sending your Son to die for us before the foundation of the world so that we might be your children, whole, happy, and set free. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.